Jackson for our service, and we want to take a moment now. Uh, I want to ask that you stand at your home as we get ready to read God's Word. Uh, we return to the text that we have been working through for the last several weeks, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. There we find these words written, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thank you. Let us uh, pray and ask God's blessing on our time as we prepare to get into this message. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to think about your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds today. Lord, we beg you to bring about change and transformation in our lives. Lord, we desire to be different than what we are. We desire to look more like Jesus. And we know that left to ourselves, we'll never make the hard journey that's necessary. We need you to guide us. We need you to lead us. We need you to compel us. We need you to draw us so that we might be different. God, would you make a change in us? Would you help us today? Lord, would you work? Would you make it clear to us what you desire from us? Would you show us the way to get there? God, we desire to please you. We thank you for uh, the church, for your spirit, for your word. We thank you for your care in our lives. Please now, God, be with us. Grant us your presence. Work in our minds. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. Boom! The echo of the gunshot rippled through the air of the store as Calvin's body slumped and fell to the ground. Calvin had no idea that that would be his last day of life as he worked his regular job and he would lose his life over something so trivial as a face mask. Just a week prior to the events that had happened in Calvin's life, the governor of Michigan, uh, Gretchen Whitmire, had issued uh, and announced an executive order that would be enforced, she said, uh, that required all retail employees and customers to wear masks in public places. Calvin, who worked as a, a local security guard for a store, uh, was just doing his job as he was assigned to do to uphold the governor's orders. On this particular day, a family came to the store, uh, and he noticed that the daughter was not wearing a mask. And in order to comply with the governor's orders, he asked the daughter to wear a mask. Frustrated by the request, she immediately turned and left the store. The mother, angered by Calvin making the request that the governor had ordered, began to yell at Calvin to let him know her displeasure with him making such a request of her daughter. Uh, he then, seeing that she had become irate, simply asked her to leave the store and to, he instructed the, the cashier to not serve her. Uh, frustrated, she left the store, hopped into her SUV with her daughter, and left. About 20 minutes later, they returned, same SUV, but this time, instead of the mother and the daughter, the father and the brother got out 
uh, who was in his 20s and came into the store. They located Calvin in the store to which the father walked up to him and proceeded to, uh, in a loud voice, begin to reprimand him for disrespecting his wife. But the confrontation didn't end there. Uh, after the father made his case known, the brother pulled out a handgun and shot Calvin in the head. Calvin would later die at a local hospital after this incident. Sadly, this is only one tragic incident of what has taken place over the past several weeks as angst about the prolonged effects of the coronavirus pandemic have been plaguing our country. As we look around, there is a growing sense of hostility towards others. Neighbors are reporting on each other if they feel that their neighbors are not following the social distance guidelines. They call the police, hey, they're not doing what they're told. Some protesters have given new meaning to what a protester looked like as they have aggressive protests, shouting out hateful words and uh, displaying hateful actions towards those who are standing to protect whatever place it is, and in turn, those who are harassed then want to respond in kind. There's an ongoing wave of xenophobia, particularly against Asians, that keeps sweeping across our nation. Leaders, both at the state level and at the federal level, seem to be in a battle about when and how states uh, should reopen. And unfortunately, this phenomenon has not just remained displayed in the public, but it has also found its way into the church. And so I want to ask you today, as we prepare to reflect on these thoughts and our times in God's words, over the past few weeks, if you've looked at your life, would you say that what you've seen in your life is the work of hostility or the fruit of peace? I want you to keep that in mind as we work our way through the sermon. Remember, this our sermon series is Christ-likeness in crisis. Now, when I say peace, I want to take a moment to clarify what I mean by peace. When we look throughout the Bible at the definitions of peace or how peace is used, it's used in a, a variety of ways, and sometimes it's used to talk about the inward tranquilness or calmness that comes from being uh, connected to God. But I want to focus on peace as Paul uses it in our text here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. What does Paul mean in this usage of the word peace in this text? He uses it in other ways in other texts, but what does he mean here? I want to offer to you the scholarly definition of the New Testament scholar, uh, Ben Witherington. Uh, you can read along as I share it with you, and it goes something like this. He says, it must be kept steadily in view that Paul here is here describing social traits, not primarily inner qualities of individuals. This is especially to be emphasized with the word irene, which is surely grounded in the Hebrew concept of shalom, rather than in the Greek and particularly in the Stoic idea of serenity, a quiet mind or the absence of activity, and especially the absence of pain and other disturbances. The Jewish concept, by contrast, has to do with personal wholeness, with healthy relationships, in other words, with positive relational concepts rather than the absence of opposition or pain or trouble. 
Once again, in Paul's view, this sort of peace comes from being placed in right relationship with God, who is a God of peace, which then affects the way Christians relate to each other and to outsiders. To wish someone shalom was to wish them not merely good health or fortune, but peace with God and the best of human relationships as well. In other words, peace in this text is not simply that interstate of calmness or the absence of difficulty. Rather, it is an outward demonstration that it can only be reflected to others when one is in a right relationship with God, regardless of the circumstances we find around us. You see, when you have peace with God, then the natural byproduct of your peace with God means that your human relationships become characterized by friendship, care, love, and loyalty. Uh, in the Old Testament, if we were to look at the Old Testament, we would find that often uh, the word for friend is commonly used. As, that person is called a man of peace. We see that in Psalm 7, 4, 41, 9, Jeremiah 20, 10, 38, 22, and Obadiah 7. To be a friend is to be a person of peace. Paul told the, excuse me, the Galatian believers that if they were to follow the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, instead of walking by the flesh, then he would produce in their lives these kinds of relationships uh, in their personal lives as well as in the Christian community, the church family, when they gathered together. Now, one of the interesting things that Brent Witherington brought out that Paul also leans upon is that before a person can experience the kind of peace that he's talking about here in Galatians, as Paul has already shared in other places, that a person must be in a right relationship with God. They must have peace with God first before they can have this kind of peace in their relationships with human beings. Now we see that, and the reason for that in Ephesians 2, which Mike has just prayed, but I will reread for you from the text. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So Paul explains here the reason why we need peace with God first before we will have peace in our human relationships, at least of a, a lasting kind of a, a meaningful nature. He reminds us that before we came to peace with God, as the rest of humanity is today, that we were captive to the spiritual powers of darkness that hold the rest of humanity in bondage right now through their worldly desires and the world system that the powers of darkness supervise and run behind the scenes. And since these are the forces that are the major influencing light, major influences in the lives of unbelievers, then they're always going to fall short of the peace that Paul had in mind. The reason why is because they cannot 
walk in the Spirit uh, because they don't have the Spirit to guide them. The only thing they have to rely on is human effort, or as Paul characterizes it here, is the realm of the flesh. Because they don't have the Spirit, then they cannot have the fruit of the Spirit produced in their lives, of which we see is peace. But what Paul says about Christians is that there's something else going on. God has rescued and freed us from those powers that hold the rest of humanity captive by bringing us into a right relationship with God through Jesus. Notice how Paul in Romans chapter 5 describes our relationship after salvation. Paul writes this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul describes this new salvation experience, this new relationship with God as a peace relationship. He goes on later in that chapter to describe what he means by that. In verse 10 he writes, For if, we were, if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Paul says that we've been brought back into a right relationship with God, which is characterized by peace. Remember, we're talking about love, loyalty, friendship, all those positive relational words. That's the kind of relationship we now have with God, who is the God of peace. But Paul says the only reason we have that is because of Christ's death and resurrection. There's no other reason that we have a peaceful relationship with God other than what Christ has done. If Christ had not done what we had done, we would still remain as enemies of God and in bondage to the worldly forces that the rest of humanity finds themselves trapped by. And therefore, through faith in Christ, we now have peace with God the Father. And in addition to that, Paul says, we have been given the gift of the Spirit, which Peter proclaimed that all who those will repent from their sins and turn to faith in Jesus will be given the gift by God freely. And this gift from God of his personal presence in our lives is the one who guides us into peaceful relationships with other human beings. See, as believers, peaceful relationships should consistently be displayed in the community of faith among the members of the body of Christ because Christ has already made peace available and made and set up peace for us. This is what we see in Ephesians chapter 2 in the latter part, picking up at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God, of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. 
Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What Paul tells us here is that this is not a subjective peace that Christ has created, but an objective peace. Through his death and resurrection, Christ has removed all the barriers that once separated us as Jews and Gentiles. And now those barriers have been removed objectively by Christ's death, and God has, through Christ, made us all members of his family, uniting us together by his one Holy Spirit so that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We see this evidenced in Acts chapter 2 and Acts 10 when we see what God did in a Jewish context in Acts 2, and he did the same thing in a Gentile context in Acts 10 to link them together, to let them know they're no longer two different people, but now one people in Christ. And so our job and responsibility is not to try to make peace. Christ has already made the peace. Our responsibility as those who are followers of Jesus is to maintain the peace that Christ has already established by his death and resurrection. And thus he has given us a spirit who enables us to reflect Jesus to an outward world and in our relationships to others. When we look at Judges chapter 6, verse 24, Romans chapter 15, verse 33, then flip over to Romans chapter 16, verse 20, and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, we see from these texts that God in his nature is a God of peace and not one of confusion. And when we take it to the fact, into account the fact that we have been indwelt by the spirit of the God of peace, who is a spirit of peace, then we should be a community that is always characterized by peace, not only in the church context, but also to those who are outside the church context. Paul at least seems to imply this in his statement in Romans when he begins to give the practical implications of the theology that he's laid out in the earlier parts of his letter. He writes to the believers there. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give, thought, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul says that, that the believer ought to be uh, emulating the kind of character that Christ has, which is peace toward others uh, in the community of faith and outside of the community of faith. Paul goes on later and says when he deals with a specific issue that is plaguing the church, which happens to be an issue regarding food, he reminds them about what God is really after when he writes these words. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. See, unlike the world around us, uh, whose interactions are often characterized by hostility, as I described some of those events earlier, we are to be ambassadors of peace. Remember what the Lord Jesus said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. In other words, what Jesus is looking for is that we ought to look to our Heavenly Father's character and seek in our own lives to act in those same ways in our relationships. 
God pursued peace with us, and we are to pursue peace with others. So let me return to my original question for today. If you were to evaluate your own thoughts and behaviors in the past weeks, would you say that in your life what you're seeing is the work of hostility or the fruit of peace? If your life does not reflect peace, then the first question you might want to ask yourself is, am I in a right relationship with the God of peace? Have I repented of my sins and turned to Jesus Christ as the only means of my salvation? Because as we see from the way Paul has laid out in the text, there is no other true means of peace, real peace, outside of Jesus Christ. Today can be the day that you can have true and real peace if you find yourself outside of a relationship with the true God of peace. If you're interested then what Paul and the scriptures remind us is what we need to do is turn from our sin, repent, and place our faith in Jesus Christ and in his saving work, and we will be brought into a peaceful relationship with God and have the true peace that passes all understanding. But not only though there are those who are listening who may be dealing with not having a right relationship with God, but what about you, brothers and sisters, who have already proclaimed that you have a relationship with God. You say, I have repented of my sins. I have received Christ as my Savior. And yet, when I look at my life over the last few weeks in the midst of this coronavirus, what I see in my life are simply acts of hostility. Maybe like you, you're like some of the people in Oklahoma who recently, when the mayor had passed the edict to have face masks used in public, there were threats of violence against store workers, even uh, wanting to use firearms against them when people were asked. And so the mayor had to retreat back and say, okay, hey, listen, we're not going to enforce this. We're just going to ask you to use masks because we're afraid that you might act with harm towards store workers if you don't like what they ask you to do. Is that what you see in your life? Uh, have you been noticing in your life hostility towards others if they don't agree with your position on the coronavirus because they have a different perspective? Have you been exuding hostility toward them or do you see the fruit of peace in your life? If that's what's going on, you see the work of hostility being present in your life, whether that's on Facebook, in your phone calls, Zoom calls, whatever platform you find yourself in, then, brothers and sisters, in this text, it seems like what Paul is alluding to is the fact that most likely, because of what you're seeing in your life, you're not operating in the spirit, but in the flesh. Notice what the text says right before Galatians 5.22. What Paul says is going on in 5.16-17. through 17. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For well, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things uh, that you want to do. Here, most likely referring to the things you want to do being those sinful urges. So, brothers and sisters, what Paul reminds us is that we're not to be blind to, the, to this fact, that there is a war raging inside of us that is far more important than the war against the coronavirus. If we want to walk by the Spirit to produce the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, then uh, we have to make sure that we're following the Spirit, uh, and in doing that, he will produce in us the fruit of peace. 
Because notice what Paul says are the works of the flesh. Strife, enmities, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, and factions. Those types of things, if you're seeing that in your life, as we see in the world around us, what Paul is saying, as you look out and see that that is people operating in the flesh, they're not operating in the spirit. So Paul goes on later in the text, and he gives us the solution. He says, if we live by the Spirit, that is, that the Spirit is the one who has given us life, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. That is, walk as the Spirit is walking, follow his leading and his guidance. So people have been talking about us displaying true grit. Well, if we want to display grit, we need to put it in the place that is needed most. And the place that is needed most is in us following the Spirit of God. We know from passages like Isaiah 48, 18, that says the wicked can have no peace. Uh, and in Isaiah 48, 12, Isaiah 57, verse 20 and 21, Psalm 85, 10, and Romans 2, verses 9 through 10, that there is a correlation between righteous living and peace. See, the way the scripture seems to tie this together is that when we follow God's command in our relationships, we will find that often we will experience peace in our relationships. Ken Sandy, who has worked in the field of uh, peacemaking or, or bringing resolution to conflicts in churches and in society, said this, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most powerful, compelling resource that we have as Christians for dealing with, with conflict. And when we look to the gospel of Jesus Christ that reminds us that God cares about these other people, that he, Jesus has died for their sins, what does it teach us? It teaches us what we read about in the very first week of the fruits, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love others in the same way that God has loved us in Christ. And if we then apply that in our lives, if we follow the Spirit's guidance that he has given through the apostles in the word of God in this way, we will find that our relationships tend to be characterized by a state of peace instead of a state of hostility. Just before Easter this year, Jamie Grace was floored when a couple of volunteers from Love, Inc., Inc. here being Love in the Name of Christ. They showed up at our apartment the Wednesday before Easter to drop off some supplies, boxes of supplies, food, and five Easter baskets with chocolates for her kids. She said, I started crying. Jamie, who happens to be 35 years old, she's the mother of six children between the ages of two months old and 15 years old. She said, it just made my heart warm. In light of her own circumstances, she had recently been through her newborn, had been in the hospital. Her daughter was just overcoming pneumonia, and she's just trying to get back on her feet, being a single mother with six kids. Six kids. And this is what she said. She said, I was getting really worried about Easter, how to get everything together. And, and, and I was just, just hoping that the people could help me by giving me just some toilet paper and laundry soap. But when they showed up, they did far above and beyond what I expected. See, amid all the darkness and the depressing news about the coronavirus and all the hostility and violence that we see or read about in the news, there's some good going on. There's some individual people there. There are churches who are finding ways to help people and brighten up their lives by seeking to do exactly what Jesus said to love their neighbors as themselves by displaying acts of kindness and compassion. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot of hostility going on in our world, but we don't need to contribute to that 
Because we have the spirit of peace, when we follow him, we can then become a beacon of light to give hope to the world by displaying what peace looks like in relationships when we follow Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't exacerbate the problem. You have the opportunity and you have the resource through the spirit of God to live differently and to show the world a different picture so, picture so that we might, like in the video said, point them to our Savior who is our peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of Jesus. We thank you for him making peace for us, a peace that we were able to maintain through following the Spirit, by not seeking to do things in our own way, by not seeking to follow the examples that we see in society. And Father, if we've been being hostile toward others, whether on Facebook or uh, whether uh, through our meetings with others, whether our interactions with others in different places, forgive us. If what we've been doing is operating in the flesh. Oh Lord, you've given us your spirit, so we have far more available to us. And that's what Paul is saying, that in this battle, we don't, even though we still have those worldly desires, we don't have to give in to those desires because the spirit who is far greater than our worldly desires has resourced us if we would depend on him and his power to help us not fall into that trap. God, would you help us to walk in the spirit and to follow his leading and guidance so that our relationships and our lives are characterized by peace. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, Equip you with every good thing that you may do his will, working in us that which is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We bless you in the name of Christ. Stay tuned. We'll have a final video for you before we dismiss the service. See you later.